Welcome to the Open Door Policy. Each week on this podcast, we sit down with a different guest and talk about a letter. Archbishop Vigneron's Unleash the Gospel Pastoral Letter. Let's do it. Let's talk about it. All right. Be about it. Each guest we have on this show we think is living it out in a new and exciting way. On this episode of Open Door Policy, we sit down with Dr. Ray Bauer, who shares with us how he, as a disciple, walked with Jesus during a time of great tragedy and how he continues to find Jesus in the midst of suffering. Welcome to Open Door Policy. Doctor, Doctor Father. Ray Bauer is with us. Awesome. Hello, good. Thank you for having me. We're you're so welcome. glad you're here. Yeah. Are you ready to jump into rapid fire questions? I am ready. Good. Question number one: What was the coolest article of clothing you had when you were a kid? So, have you ever heard of this designer? I think it's Lily Pulitzer. My, Tell me more. My dad had this crazy jacket. It was a '70s crazy multicolored jacket that he used to wear to all the dances. And I used to get all kinds of mad props because I looked so weird. <laughs> and I loved that jacket from my high school days. Okay. Yeah. yeah. What was the weirdest food you have ever eaten? Well, I don't know if this is really considered weird, but I think that these this food group is evil, sick, and twisted beets. Mm. <laughs> I hate beets. Amen. I had beets one time. There's a whole story to that. And mm. it's, no, I'm not going back there. Okay. All right, Ray, what's your favorite piece of religious art? The Sacred Heart uh, statue at St. Paul on the Lake above the tabernacle. Ray, if your life was made into a movie, what genre would it be and who would play you? Well, I think I'd go sci-fi. Oh. I, I used to have hair, so I would say maybe Tom Hanks when I used to have hair. Now you'd have to find some bald guy to play me, I guess. Stanley Tucci or somebody like that. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen from District 12, Katniss Um, What do you remember about church as a kid? I remember this big, huge mural in the sanctuary at St. Clara Montefalco. Beautiful uh, mural of the resurrection and creation and yeah. the fall. And awesome. Very beautiful. Hamburger, pizza, or taco? Well, it's a little known fact that there was going to be an 11th Commandment? Oh. <laughs> no, an 11 guidepost. Oh. It was going to be okay. pizza. Oh, okay. Yes, I think he had to drop it. He wanted 10, but uh, definitely would be pizza. Okay. Of all the places you've traveled, where would you most want to return? Poland. Mm. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? To pray with the Psalms, do the uh, pray the office. And if you had to teach a class, what would you teach? Well, I actually do a lot of teaching. As a yeah. doctor, I teach. I had, gave a lecture yesterday on stroke rehabilitation. I teach marriage prep stuff and RCA stuff. But I guess maybe I'd go off the beaten path and say, I have a few pasta recipes that I could show the world that are, are pretty tasty. Pasta cooking. <laughs> All right. <laughs> if you could pick your confirmation saint again today, who would you pick? St. John Paul the Great. All right. Awesome. Thanks so much. Wait a second. You said there was a story about beets. I need to hear it. Beets is actually like beets one of my favorite awful. foods. There are oh, so many ways right. to prepare This podcast them. is over. I'm gone okay, if okay. you're a beet. Right. Tweet, tweet at OD, ODP <laughs> with your opinion on beets right this minute. Any pro beet tweet will be deleted. <laughs> it won't. Uh, you talked about uh, your favorite piece of religious art mm-hmm. is this uh, Sacred Heart statue at St. Paul. Mm-hmm. Where is that located? St. Like, Paul in the lake. Where in oh, the church? The statue is sitting right above the tabernacle in the sanctuary. 
And mm-hmm. and what's the special meaning it has for you? Well, I've always had a devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. I'm not really sure why. I think just as you're reading different saints, mm-hmm. you know, maybe in the Magnificat or something like that, and yeah, certain saints seem to have a way of expressing those truths to you. And um, there's a long story, I guess, that I could get in terms of my testimony that where the Sacred Heart statue actually really spoke to me in a very personal way, like that particular statue. All right, all right so we'll save that for yeah. the testimony yeah. piece, yeah. right? Because we want to open that up okay. and have more time with that. So one of the places you listed is one of my favorite places in the world, too, mm. Poland. What do you love? Well, I loved Wadowice, mm-hmm. John Paul's hometown. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I want to go back so badly is because that was our shortest stop on the pilgrimage. Yeah. Um, we were there just for about half of a day. Yeah. And well, I it's just, pretty small. It's small, but just the vibe you get there with John Paul. And we did go through the house, the museum tour there, and his, his hometown church there where he was baptized. And mm-hmm. um, Krakow, just beautiful. Just just John Paul everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just a hero to me. So You guys are making me want to go to Poland. Have I've you never been, been? I've not been, oh, no. Oh, I'll go. Not we can, yet. We can go together. Go. ODP on the road. O- ODP on the road. We, we got okay. lots of road trips planned. Yeah. Um, Two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ray, the coolest article of clothing. You talked about this oh Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat-like <laughs> coat. I'm trying to picture this. Did you, your yeah. dad had it? Yeah, and, my dad. Okay, so my, my, I was the fourth out of five. I was born in 66. So that means I kind of came of age in the 70s, and my folks were, Mm -hmm. you know, like bridge players, going to dance parties, pinochle, older school type stuff. They were like living their life. Yeah, and they were, they liked to have a good time. So they were all, my, you know, polyester, the big, huge lapels, (laughs) um, smoking, gin and tonics. Like that was my childhood. Wow. Yeah. And so... For whatever reason, I must have, you know, absconded this jacket. Or maybe by the time we got to the 80s, my dad was like, all right, I'm hanging up the uh, amazing Technicolor dream coat. And I snagged it. I was like, my, my buddies are going to love this. And you also said that you love the pizza. Is there a particular pizza the, that the you're pizza? like? The well, pizza? Was, yeah, that's what I wrote in my notes. So is there a particular one? The that, guidepost. Yeah, the guidepost. Guidepost 11. Guidepost my favorite pizza, pizza. Is, is confungi, just mushroom pizza. That yeah, no amazing. No red sauce. Just on a th- just a my buddy Ken Kernan, um, one of Shout my med out. school buddies, oh. yeah, has a wood burning pizza oven in his basement, and he makes the Is best pizza of all time. Yeah, trust <laughs> me. <laughs> he didn't like just bring it into his basement. That's what like, I was wondering. I'm like, how do you do that? There's just like cinder blocks down there. Okay, <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> it, it's all up to code. Okay. So, Ray, would you share with us your testimony about your relationship with Christ and how you grew to become a disciple? Sure. Um, so I, I mentioned my uh, childhood. Were, my childhood days were very happy days. I grew up in a very loving household. My dad was my hero. My mom was just a doting, loving mother. Um, but it didn't take me too long to get into all sorts of trouble, you know, as a kid and as a teenager and I guess to summarize that, I was really living sort of a duplicitous life in those high school and college days. So get good grades, do well in sports, have good friends, but then at night turn into kind of like an evil monster, you know. And Were you going to church at the time? Or? Yeah, this time I was going to church. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, I, don't, I can't, I mean, using to use the common or modern day language, I didn't have like a personal relationship with Jesus. I wasn't really sure. praying in any way. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a sense of scripture, but 
I did have a good sense of like that cultural awareness of my faith. Sure. And so, and I appreciated that. And those days lasted really up until med school. So I met a man in med school, my good friend Mike, who had just come out of the seminary. Hmm. And he just became the poster child for just the normalcy of faith. Hmm. We talked about, we had all the same interests in terms of sports and music and whatnot, but he had just this joy about him. He carried his bravery with him. He was praying all the time, and he was challenging us to grow in our faith. He introduced me to a lot of great priest friends. He told me about John Paul, this amazing pope. I was reading and just just dove right in. And if I think as St. Catherine says, God is a mystery like the deep sea. So at this point, I'm like at the shore, really mm-hmm. appreciating this beautiful view, kind of getting my feet wet a little bit. Yeah. And then um, I met, I got back together with my wife, Fran, and I had gone to grade school with each other, Aww. high school, college, breaking up, getting back together, breaking up, getting back together. That's a whole nother story. I call Fran my PhD in overachievement. <laughs> and so we got married my senior year of med school. We started our family right away within handful of years, we had four kids running around. Wow. And so on the exterior, things were looking pretty good. I had good friends. I had priest friends even that were coming over to the house. Yeah. I was reading the right stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a lot of tension and anxiety still in our marriage because I had brought in all this selfishness with me is the long and short of it. And I remember this one Lent, it was probably 10, 15 years ago. I said, I'm just going to start praying every day. I never really prayed regularly. Mm. So I've got like the genius that I am, about the four volume set of the breviary, the liturgy of the hours. Man, go big or go home. With all the <laughs> yeah. ribbons and everything. Yeah. I'm going to do this just like yeah. my buddy Mike did. Mm-hmm. You know, Mike was my, my hero. Sure. And I probably spent more time f- fumbling <laughs> through all the ribbons than they, actually praying. They but, are not user-friendly. But I did yeah. it. At the Every outset, morning, yeah. at least, I got up and I did morning prayer. That was yeah. my goal. About halfway through Lent, I went to a men's conference. I should say Fran came home one day with a ticket and said, <laughs> you're going to this men's conference. Part of marriage is helping the other person get to yeah. heaven. So, And, you know, it's funny. I don't really remember anything that the speaker said that day, but the but Paco, everybody, yeah. a lot of Paco people in podcast is. land will know Paco. Mm-hmm. Um, Paco was kind of riffing with the mic in between speakers, mm-hmm. and he kind of challenged all the guys, like, anybody here, you know, wants to be a better husband, a better father? And I just kind of was doing this thing where I just kept raising my hand, like, yeah, that's me. I, I need that. I need yeah. that. Before I knew it, people were praying over me right there in the conference. Wow. And there was no true lightning bolt or anything, but I just had this huge urge to go to confession. I went straight to confession and just blubbered. That was blah, you know, bawling my head off, blubbering idiot. All this stuff was coming out in the confessional. And I call this, like, I got this gift of certitude mm. where I knew what an amazing sinner I was. At the same time, I also knew how much God loved me. Mm-hmm. And everything kind of really became kind of like from the head to the heart at that moment. Like, that was a very big... And I was convinced... It was because I had been praying, like mm-hmm. the, the giving thanks and praise to God was just sort of had softened up my heart. And yeah. so then I'm in the ocean, like I, that's my analogy. At this point, I'm swimming, I'm surfing, Fran and I are NFP, we're teaching theology of the body, I'm doing men's group at the parish, she's doing women's group at the parish, she's running RCIA, 
And then we had this terrible, terrible life event. So this was 2015, my, my third child, Joe. We had had this very difficult year with Joe, what quickly was becoming more and more clear. He had some sort of mental illness that we didn't know what it was, mixed some, maybe some drugs, and we don't even still know, honestly, what happened to Joe. Yeah. But Joe took his life after his senior year in high school. That was 2015. How do you describe that pain? You can't describe the pain and the anguish, um, but... And especially for someone who's really trying to walk with the yeah. Lord, really kind of Yeah, and, and my whole, faith. you know, I don't know how many times I had told my testimony up to that point, but it was always right. about giving thanks and praise to God in the Psalms, and this, yeah. look what's going to happen to you. And so I remember getting on my knees that night that Joe died, and I prayed to God, if you ever want me to thank you and praise you again, you're going to have to do it because I can't do it. I, I can't. I don't have anything, any power to do that right now. Yeah. And How old was your son? He was 18. Okay. And uh, that was on a Wednesday, July 29th, Feast of St. Martha and Mary. Mm-hmm. On the Friday yeah. night, we went up to the church because they had a prayer service for us. And the whole parish was just reeling. I mean, you know. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we had Eucharistic adoration, and the priest was Father Joseph Kirkconnell. I know a lot of people around here probably mm-hmm. know who he is. He's a wonderful young priest. He was our associate, and he gave a homily on Jesus being the divine physician. And then he encouraged us all to pray just in silence in front of the Eucharist, which was exposed. And I closed my eyes, and this has never really happened to me. I don't get visions or hear mm-hmm. things ever. Yeah. But I just was seeing my son Joe like literally on the altar, being worked on by Jesus. Mm. And it just sort of, I just knew, you know, the poor boy, he was so wounded and so messed up, but Jesus was working on him. Mm-hmm. So I, it was like, I know it's not, he's not mine anymore, he's Jesus's. And I had this complete peace that had come over me two days after I lost my son. Wow. I, don't, I, could, I can't even remember how I walked into the church right. that night. And then here I was, I didn't even want to open my eyes, I felt such peace. And finally, I looked up, and there's the Sacred Heart of Jesus Mm. standing right there behind the altar where the Eucharist is exposed and above the tabernacle, and he's pointing to his Sacred Heart, and the other hand's pointing right at me, and he says, you have no idea. Mm -hmm. Just those four words. And I knew I had no idea, like, what kind of power he has. Wow. I I have no idea what he can do. I have no idea how he's going to do it. So at the same time, I'm feeling this peace. There's this mystery that I still don't understand, and that's okay. You have no idea what good I can make of this mess. So at this point, I'm so deep in the ocean. The waves are crashing over. You know, it's tidal wave after tidal wave when you're going through this kind of grief. Well, and and you have three other children. Yeah, they're all all a mess. The way it impacts a a whole community, a a family that, yeah... So yeah, we're all uh, we're all just so so grieving. It's so painful. Oh, so you're deep, 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 and the waves are crashing. But when you're so deep, and as Saint Catherine says, you know, if God is this mysterious sea. Well, the deeper you go, then it becomes like almost. It, for me, it's hard to describe it, but it's like the sorrow and the joy almost get blended together mm. because you're in so much pain, but at the same time, you're holding so tight to Jesus 
that you can't imagine ever being closer to him than at that moment. So you can't give that up either. Yeah. So a year after that, I went on this pilgrimage to Poland. And I'll never forget the homily that we were at Our Lady of Czestochowa, the um, Black Madonna. Yeah. Jasnogora? Jasnogora. Mm-hmm. Haven't and, been there, but I, and I know you a little did bit. A good um, job. The, uh, the homily was all about the icon itself. You know, mm-hmm. she's got this scar on her face. Yeah. yeah. Two and, scratches. you know, it's the story is something like she's been wounded and beaten and pillaged and survived fires and ransacking. And there's been even attempts, I think, to, to, to mend the wound, mm-hmm. but it reappears every time. Mm-hmm. And the priest said, you know, the Blessed Mother is saying, wear your scars on the outside. Bear your wounds in love and in mercy. Mercy does not have to shout. Simply bury your scars out in the open, share your love for my son, and amidst the suffering, you will win souls for Jesus. That was the homily. And it just all became so clear to me at that point, like just walking with faith, you know, amidst the suffering and the trials is evangelization. Yeah. That's, that's plenty right there. You're being transformed and conformed in your suffering, and then you're rating that out to the world. It wasn't that long after we got back from Poland and a friend of mine invited me out. We had a drink and he wanted to share this story with me that he was out walking and one of his neighbors who he thinks is just the most cheerful, mm-hmm. you know, gregarious, evangelizing, beautiful, soulful woman par- parishioner at St. Paul on the Lake. Yeah. She was looking so down. And she shared with him, you know, my sister this and my husband that and my mm-hmm. dad, all these different things that were going on in her life. They were so terrible. And he said, gosh, I'm really so sorry. You know, I'll pray for all of that. And she looked at him and said, well, when I see Fran Bauer walking around, I know this is all going to be okay. I can, I can get through this. Wow. So just an example, like right after we got back from Poland, the story right. of somebody. The strength she's getting from mm-hmm. your wife right. bearing her cross. Right. So, Ray, going on four years now, right? Yes. 2015. That pain is still there, still real, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and walking with Jesus is still a daily mm-hmm. daily decision, daily commitment to cling to him. Um, that It's a beautiful testimony, beautiful witness. Thank you for sharing it. You're welcome. So, Ray, as we turn and look at Unleash the Gospel, what what's something, like, you've read this letter. Correct. Uh, probably multiple times, soon after it came out. Yes. Uh, is there anything that you would add to it that uh, that's not in it, in your mind? Well, I guess just to continue on that theme of suffering, that, you know, there, there are certain things about evangelization that are not new. <laughs> the old mm. evangelization <laughs> is... The evangelization of the martyrs and right. suffering. Whoa, and, whoa, whoa. We don't talk about that here. We're, we're about the new of No, so, I'm kidding. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I just go back to that. There's a lot of truth and goodness and beauty in evangelizing through that suffering. You know, it conforms you to Jesus, and it inspires you by the power of the Holy Spirit, obviously, to reach out to others. Consolation is part of the letter. Yeah. Um, so it's in there. I guess I would just maybe yeah. expand on it maybe more. Mm-hmm. Right, and this, I mean, we were talking about your powerful testimony. Uh, makes me think, like, what does it mean to be a joyful missionary disciple in the midst of suffering? Right, how do we do that? Right, and also, so I'll, I'll jump in with this story, and then, like, if y'all can, can elaborate. So I was, as you, 
as you might know, I'd love to do circus. It's like my hobby. And um, circus? Yeah. <laughs> I did yeah. not know that. Okay. Well, I should have obviously. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I don't know. I don't know who knows and who doesn't know. But um, the 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 culture what is of do circus. circus. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like you know, like Cirque du Soleil, like okay. aerial stuff. I love it. I, so I think it's analogous to like someone who takes a boxing class. Father Steve has never been to the circus. Anyway, is that like the pizza? Yeah. Do circus. <laughs> The Myers. Anyway, so so one day this girl was coming out and she and she said this thing. Uh, she was talking about how like children have pain in their mouths when they teeth, and she was like, any anytime someone talks to me about intelligent design, I just think to myself, that wouldn't work because like I don't believe it because we have pain when we grow. I obviously decided it was not the time to jump into a, theo- a theological conversation as we were like putting coats on. But in my mind, I was just like, this is a fascinating theological claim that essentially, if God knew what he was doing, we wouldn't feel pain. Hmm. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I think to have a discussion around this, in my mind, is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus on the cross, right? Hmm. St. Paul says, I came to proclaim Christ and Christ crucified. And so... If we're not thinking about suffering, you know, Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. Taking up your cross means you're carrying your cross to the crucifixion. So, I mean, we cannot be faithful to what Jesus calls us to be, and we can't be faithful to what he and the first disciple said and how they lived their lives if we think that suffering is not going to be a part of our lives. So how do we understand that theologically? I think, you know, Ray was talking about just kind of going deep into the ocean of this suffering and and having no one, nothing to cling to but Jesus in the midst of Mm -hmm. that incredible pain. Then you boast of your weakness Mm -hmm. so that the power of Christ rests upon you. There's nothing left but Jesus when you're that deep into it. Yeah, I mean, suffering's always going to be a mystery. I mean, there's always this question about, like, why does God, why does suffering exist if Mm -hmm. God is a good God? And, I mean, people have struggled with that and thought about that from the early days of the church. And I think, you know, St. Paul shows us the way to say that, like, Jesus Christ was crucified. I proclaim a crucified Savior. So it's in the person of Jesus that we can only, like, enter in in faith and think about and understand that suffering is not meaningless, it's not pointless, united to the cross. It can not just be endured, but it can glorify God, and it can be for our benefit, our our growth, and our eternal happiness if it's united to the cross of Jesus. I don't know, does that sound trite, or does no, that sound I think, cheap? I also think there's a psychological and a very practical aspect to this. I mean, um, people, you can really touch people when you bring the subject up. Like, people, mm-hmm. it gets them. Like, everyone's going through something. Everyone. Yeah. It's, it's their kids that they're worried about. It's the job. It's the diagnosis. It's the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the, everyone is suffering, obviously. So it's a it's a universal, it's a, it's a universal touch point for yeah. everybody, and let's not be afraid of it. I mean, frankly, no offense to the Holy Father, but some people are walking around looking like they just left a funeral because they have. 
Right. And life is that bad for a lot of people yeah. at that time. And we can reach out to those people. Those are great opportunities for us to, you know, share God's love and his good news. Yeah. How do you feel like, so one thing that sometimes the church talks about is that people who have, have like endured a suffering have a greater sense of compassion, right? Because they, they kind of have a new understanding. Um, how have you seen yourself change? Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I didn't include this in my testimony. I lost my mom and my dad when I was 21. Wow. And um, they both had different types of cancer and died about 10 weeks apart. Wow. And uh, I don't think I even after that understood suffering because I don't think I had it through this lens of faith like I have now. Um, so that's the key is mm-hmm. uniting it to the cross is what gives you, I think, the, right. the, the gifts. You know, the Holy Spirit then just, you know, lights that on fire and gives you this great desire to reach out to others. But I don't think I had that. I was more afraid of it. Yeah, and I think as a church, like, how, how do we not use those opportunities to reach people? Because that sounds kind of, like, transactional right. or exploitive. I don't mean that, but how do we, like, connect that pain to the only answer that uh, that can satisfy. And so like, I, I think of this marker 8.2, the one sheep in the pastoral mm-hmm. letter, how like people going through that kind of suffering who, you know, it, it sounds like the Lord touched you in this incredibly personal way. Not everyone has that gift when they go through it, right? And they need people to walk with them. Like that one sheep, <laughs> I it's not the same as the gospel story of the kind of the one who walked away, but the one who needs a lot of attention right now. Mm-hmm. And that means like walking with someone slowly, mm-hmm. deliberately over a series of weeks or months to say, this is a moment in your life where the church and maybe I'm the church for you right now mm-hmm. needs to be with you. And so I want to like radically walk with you right now. I think mm-hmm. that's a huge part of to what me that it means. goes back to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. my first impression reading the document was the Holy Spirit is just everywhere in this letter. Mm-hmm. And then what started my story was the, was praying. You know, yeah. I think if we're prayerful and docile to the Spirit and we keep practicing that over and over, the Holy Spirit's just going to bless that and give us hearts, you know, of desire to reach out. And so it's not a transaction, it's just the fruit of a, right. pra- of a prayerful life where you're properly worshiping the Lord and Returning yeah. to private, intimate prayer, and it's just that ex- it's constant. Um, it's exchange. bearing fruit in these places in your life, relationships, mm-hmm. which yeah. is good habit number one: docility to the spirit. You know something that you said in the earliest part, I really liked. Don't remember the friend's name. You said he had a normalcy of faith. Yes, and I think that there's like powerful evangelization in that, like. Mm-hmm. This is normal. This is not, how we do not this. Not to be weird <clears throat> about our faith. Is that what you're saying? Or just kind of like Maybe the, that the should way be a good integrated. marker. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that should be a good marker. But um, Put just, the way it's integrated right, into one's whole right. life. So um, in what ways have you maybe like seen that, you know, in your life, in your faith? The normalcy of faith? Yeah. Well, I grew up in this new sort of phase of my Catholic life, the the young adult Catholic that I became, yeah, 
it was totally normal for me to have a beer with a priest or have a priest over for dinner. So I thought that was a very, that's something that maybe gets neglected a little bit because it's all about the lay people have to get out there, which mm-hmm. is true. Hmm. But there's nothing like that dynamic of, you know, a group of us guys would take a priest out to dinner and just fire questions or just get into the good <laughs> discussions. And and then I think priests feed off of that too and mm-hmm. religious, you know, oh, everybody. I, I, as a priest, it's very life-giving to spend time with people who... Um, who are really striving to live their faith, or maybe who have questions, but like to be immersed in that, right? There's a kind of um, uh, a, the beauty of the friendship and the beauty of seeing your vocation kind of take on its flourishing by being among people who who want to know Christ more deeply. I think that's part of like this spirit of cooperation and the whole like faith experience is sometimes there's gonna like. You know, think about your people, like the people that you love. Some of them are having a hard time right now. Some of them are doing okay right now, but you're all working together, right? So that's that's also part and of it. And you do this a lot. Like, Danielle, I think, I think you know more priests than I do <laughs> in the Archdiocese of Detroit. So Maybe like, we're tied. <laughs> but I mean, that's a very integrated part of your life as yeah. well. Thanks be to God. Like, it's a huge grace to have good priests in your life and be like, hey, I have this burning question yeah. Answer it for me. Yeah. I also think normalcy of prayer and our yeah. in our family life growing up, you know, we're going to take a drive that's anywhere more than like 20 minutes. Let's pray the rosary in the car with the kids, you know. Yeah. Uh, saying grace, obviously. We would try to say night prayer maybe once a week if we could. It was always ended in laughter halfway through. We rarely made it through night prayer. <laughs> you know, it was fun. We still did it. Right. Got together. So there was a normalcy of prayer life as well. Did your uh-huh. kids like praying the rosary? On those car rides? Were they uh, cooperative? Oh, yeah. They were cooperative, but I think by the time we got to, like, teenage years, it was just not happening. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's okay. And, I mean, like, in in some way, too, I think what you guys are a little bit speaking to is the normalcy of just living out your vocations, right? So you just being a priest who's a human being and, yeah. like, doing this stuff, that's evangelization. You being a married man, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's amazing. Uh, there, are, I think there are a lot of people who don't know godly married couples, and so there's there's a gigantic um, evangelization in that as well. Right. When I prepare young couples for marriage, one of the questions I usually ask them is, "Do you have good friends who are going to help you be, you know, the, the couple you want to be?" Right. So we talk about faith, and usually there's an aspiration. If they're not there yet, they want to get there, or mm-hmm. they're telling me they want to get there, right? Um, <laughs> but I, I take that as honest. Yeah. And But I ask them, like, do you have people in your life who are going to help you get where you want to be? Yeah. Making mass a regular part of your life, making prayer an integrated part of your family. And that question so often comes back to, no, I don't have that. So I think people are starving and striving for those kinds of relationships, especially among young couples. Amen to that. I agree. Well, you said you work marriage prep, too. Yeah, that's one of the things I was going to just mention is it's kind of sad because I think a lot of the younger couples that are coming in don't have a support system, you know. And so I think that's part of the reason why you you lose track of them so quickly is they they kind of come for their sacrament, they disappear because they haven't built up that environment of their faith life and whatnot, and it's very easy for them to kind of stray away again. Well, and they're not going to find it anywhere else, right? They're not just going to... Like, it would be yeah. an incredible miracle to just run into these people at work or at a restaurant or at right. the park. And that's why making a parish the center of your life 
maybe not the center, but a touchstone, a big touchstone of your life is so important because you can develop those relationships and friendships that will help you become uh, the husband, the wife, the mother, the father, the single person that you're striving to be. Um, one of the good habits is confidence in God based on the model of St. Therese. Mm. You who have gone through so much, what do you, what do you, how can you speak into that a little bit? I guess the first thought that comes to my mind is I think I look upon my faith as a gift. I mean, I don't know how to explain it. It's yeah. not something that I did. Mm-hmm. What what forced me to get on my knees after losing my son instead of, I don't know what I could, right. else I could have done. That's just some sort of movement of God. Yeah. That. Um, so having trust, I think, just comes, I'll go back again, I think if you have intimacy with the Lord and you're praying, it always goes back to me to pray, pray well and worship well, and you're developing that intimacy with the Lord, and you're going to trust that friend if you know him that well. Mm-hmm. But you got to get to know him somehow. It's through prayer and worship. Yeah, you got to learn what his voice sounds like. Mm-hmm. Right? You got to build that relationship. And if you haven't been praying, there's a bit of working through that awkwardness mm-hmm. to get to a point where you're like, you know, okay, I, I can do this, or it's starting to bear some fruit. I know. Uh, that, that can be a big hurdle for people as they start out. Or and even as people are continuing, I, someone read to me this uh, from Sister Kowalska who saw the Divine Mercy images. Like Jesus came to her and she was just like, how about not? <laughs> and so she just... Can I have a yeah. break from these apparitions, So, so she Lord? said she was so scared that she just would like do routine prayers instead of entering into conversation uh, to kind of like like shield herself from it. So she just like pray a rosary but not listen. Yeah. And, um, and I was like, wow, what a beautiful, honest faith this woman has. I'm glad we never do that, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. No, yeah. I was going to add, I think mm-hmm. another way to practice trust is in, in the married life. So I'm... I can practice that with my wife. So, well, one trick to get to developing trust is marrying a saint, which is what I did. Mm-hmm. But for those of us who have to work a little bit harder at it, you know, I can I can develop that trust by you know protecting Fran. She wants me. She wants to know that I'm like looking out for her. I've got her back, yeah. and I'm, she's not the one dragging the kids to church. I'm mm-hmm. I'm helping here. Yeah, and she can help build trust with me by supporting me or whatever. You know, so. That's something we, we were consciously working on, especially as we were learning more about theology of the body and NFP, where you're building trust in your marriage, and then you're more likely to have trust in your faith in other ways as well. Man, right. Man, we could talk about the theology of the body aspect of this with families for like, oh man, I, I still want to dive into that, but I think we're, I think we're yeah. wrapping up. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for you're sharing with welcome. us. Usually when we close, we like to have our guests share a word or prayer with our listeners, is there any sure. closing word you would like to give them? Hail, Holy Queen, Mother, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To, to thee, thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious Advocate, thine eyes of mercy towards us. And after this our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary, pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Amen. It was wonderful to hear from Dr. Ray Bauer how Christ is at the center of his life, even in the midst of all the difficulties and struggles, and how he continues to walk with Jesus. 
even when he's not wearing his Lily Pulitzer blazer. Be sure to subscribe and like us on iTunes and to bring your friends along for their eyes. And if the Holy Spirit has inspired you while listening today, be sure to pass this episode along to someone else who might enjoy it. Open Door Policy was produced at Sacred Heart Major Seminary for the Archdiocese of Detroit. We'd like to thank our creative team, Christine Warner, Ron Pangborn, Paul Duda, Patrick Hodgden, Devin Buston, Patty Maldonado, Naomi Vrezo, Joe Peltier, Epsi Christostomo, and Edmundo Reyes. Join us next time when Father Steve does impressions. Pulling the leads in the heart of the people. I'm trying to do a JP too, but I think that's more a Count Chocula. I'm Father Steve Polis with Danielle Center. And this has been another episode of Open Door Policy. Hi, this is Danielle from Open Door Policy, and I wanted to let you know that for season two, we have new social media channels for you to connect and follow Open Door Policy. So be sure to follow at Open Door Detroit on Twitter and Facebook. Tell us what you think of the latest episodes and follow along for the latest updates on all things Open Door Policy. Thanks, friends.